Section 3 of Pamela or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela or Virtue Rewarded by Samuel Richardson. Section 3. Letter 19. Dear Father and Mother, Our John having an opportunity to go your way, I write again and send both letters at once. I can't say yet when I shall get away, nor how I shall come, because Mrs. Jervis showed my master the waistcoat I am flowering for him, and he said, it looks well enough. I think the creature had best stay till she has finished it. There is some private talk carried on betwixt him and Mrs. Jervis that she don't tell me of, but yet she is very kind to me, and I don't mistrust her at all. I should be very base if I did but to be sure she must oblige him and keep all his lawful commands, and other, I dare say, she won't keep. She is too good and loves me too well, but she must stay when I am gone, and so must get no ill will. She has been at me again to ask to stay and humble myself. But what have I done, Mrs. Jervis? said I. If I have been a sauce-box and a bold-face and a pert and a creature, as he calls me, have I not had reason? Do you think I should ever have forgot myself if he had not forgot to act as my master? Tell me from your own heart, dear Mrs. Jervis, said I, if you think I could stay and be safe. What would you think, or how would you act in my case? My dear Pamela, said she, and kissed me, I don't know how I should act, or what I should think. I hope I should act as you do, but I know nobody else that would. My master is a fine gentleman. He has a great deal of wit and sense, and is admired, as I know, by half a dozen ladies, who would think themselves happy in his addresses. He has a noble estate, and yet I believe he loves my good maiden, though his servant, better than all ladies in the land. And he has tried to overcome it, because you are so much his inferior. And tis my opinion he finds he can't, and that vexes his proud heart, and makes him resolve you shan't stay, and so he speaks so cross to you when he sees you by accident. Well, but, Mrs. Jervis, said I, let me ask you if he can stoop to like such a poor girl as me, as perhaps he may, for I have read of things almost as strange from great men to poor damsels. What can it be for? He may condescend, perhaps, to think I may be good enough for his harlot, and those things don't disgrace men that ruin poor women, as the world goes. And so if I was wicked enough, he would keep me till I was undone, and till his mind changed, for even wicked men I have read soon grow weary of wickedness with the same person, and love variety. Well then, poor Pamela must be turned off, and looked upon as a vile abandoned creature, and everybody would despise her, I and justly too, Mrs. Jervis, for she that can't keep her virtue ought to live in disgrace. But, Mrs. Jervis, I continued, let me tell you that I hope, if I was sure he would always be kind to me, and never turn me off at all, that I shall have so much grace as to hate and withstand his temptations, were he not only my master but my king, and that for sin's sake. This my poor dear parents have always taught me, and I should be a sad wicked creature indeed, if, for the sake of riches or favor, I should forfeit my good name, yea, and worse than any other young body of my sex, 
because I can so contentedly return to my poverty again, and think it a less disgrace to be obliged to wear rags, and live upon rye bread and water, as I used to do, than to be a harlot to the greatest man in the world. Mrs. Jervis lifted up her hands, and had her eyes full of tears. God bless you, my dear love, said she. You are my admiration and delight. How shall I do to part with you? Well, good Mrs. Jervis, said I, let me ask you now. You and he have had some talk, and you mayn't be suffered to tell me all. But, do you think, if I was to ask to stay, that he is sorry for what he has done? I, and ashamed of it, too? For I am sure he ought, considering his high degree and my low degree, and how I have nothing in the world to trust to but my honesty. Do you think in your own conscience now, pray answer me truly, that he would never offer anything to me again, and that I could be safe? Alas, my dear child, said she, don't put thy home questions to me with that pretty becoming earnestness in thy look. I know this, that he is vexed at what he has done. He was vexed the first time, more vexed the second time. Yes, said I, and so he will be vexed, I suppose, the third and the fourth time, too, till he has quite ruined your poor maiden. And who will have cause to be vexed then? Nay, Pamela, said she, don't imagine that I would be accessory to your ruin for the world. I only can say that he has, yet, done you no hurt, and it is no wonder he should love you, you are so pretty, though so much beneath him but, I dare swear for him, he never will offer you any force. You say, said I, that he was sorry for his first offer in the summer-house. Well, and how long did his sorrow last? Only till he found me by myself, and then he was worse than before, and so became sorry again. And if he has deigned to love me, and you say can't help it, why, he can't help it neither, if he should have an opportunity a third time to distress me. And I have read that many a man has been ashamed of his wicked attempts, when he has been repulsed, that would never have been ashamed of them had he succeeded. Besides, Mrs. Jervis, if he really intends to offer no force, what does that mean? While you say he can't help liking me, for love it cannot be, does it not imply that he hopes to ruin me by my own consent? I think, said I, and I hope I should have grace to do so, that I should not give way to his temptations on any account. But it would be very presumptuous in me to rely upon my own strength against a gentleman of his qualifications and estate, and who is my waster, and thinks himself entitled to call me bold-faced, and what not, only for standing on my necessary defense, and that, too, where the good of my soul and body, and my duty to God and my parents, are all concerned. How, then, Mrs. Jervis, said I, can I ask or wish to stay? Well, well, says she, as he seems very desirous you should not stay, I hope it is from a good motive, for fear he should be tempted to disgrace himself as well as you. No, no, Mrs. Jervis, said I, I have thought of that, too, for I would be glad to consider him with that duty that becomes me, but then he would have let me go to Lady Davers, and not have hindered my preferment, and he would not have said I should return to my poverty and distress, when, by his mother's goodness, I had been lifted out of it, but that he intended to fright me and punish me, as he thought, for not complying with his wickedness, and this shows me well enough what I have to expect from his future goodness, except I will deserve it at his own dear price. 
She was silent, and I added, Well, there's no more to be said. I must go, that's certain. All my concern will be how to part with you, and indeed after you, with everybody. For all my fellow servants have loved me, and you and they will cost me a sigh and a tear too now and then, I am sure. And so I fell a-crying. I could not help it. For it is a pleasant thing to one to be in a house among a great many fellow-servants, and be beloved by them all. Nay, I should have told you before now how kind and civil Mr. Longman our steward is, vastly courteous indeed on all occasions. And he said once to Mrs. Jervis, he wished he was a young man for my sake. I should be his wife, and he would settle all he had upon me on marriage. And, you must know, he is reckoned worth a power of money. I take no pride in this, but bless God and your good examples, my dear parents, that I have been enabled so to carry myself as to have everybody's good word. Not but our cook one day, who is a little snappish and cross sometimes, said once to me, Why, this Pamela of ours goes as fine as a lady. See what it is to have a fine face. I wonder what the girl will come to at last. She was hot with her work, and I sneaked away, for I seldom go down into the kitchen, and I heard the butler say, Why, Jane, nobody has your good word. What has Mrs. Pamela done to you? I am sure she offends nobody. And what, said the peevish wench, have I said to her, fool a turn, but that she was pretty? They quarreled afterwards, I heard. I was sorry for it, but troubled myself no more about it. Forgive this silly prattle from your dutiful daughter. Oh, I forgot to say that I would stay to finish the waistcoat if I might with safety. Mrs. Jervis tells me I certainly may. I never did a prettier piece of work, and I am up early and late to get it over, for I long to be with you. Letter 20 Dear Father and Mother, I did not send my last letters so soon as I hoped, because John, whether my master mistrusts or no I can't say, had been sent to Lady Davers's instead of Isaac, who used to go, and I could not be so free with, nor so well trust Isaac, though he is very civil to me too, so I was forced to stay till John returned. As I may not have opportunity to send again soon, and yet, as I know you keep my letters, and read them over and over, so John told me, when you have done work, so much does your kindness make you love all that comes from your poor daughter, and as it may be some little pleasure to me, perhaps, to read them myself, when I am come to you, to remind me of what I have gone through, and how great God's goodness has been to me, which I hope will further strengthen my good resolutions, that I may not hereafter from my bad conduct have reason to condemn myself from my own hand, as it were. For all these reasons, I say, I will write as I have time, and as matters happen, and send the scribble to you as I have opportunity. And if I don't every time, in form, subscribe as I ought, I am sure you will always believe that it is not for want of duty. So I will begin where I left off, about the talk between Mrs. Jervis and me, for me to ask to stay. Unknown to Mrs. Jervis, I put a project, as I may call it, in practice. I thought with myself some days ago, here I shall go home to my poor father and mother, and have nothing on my back that will be fit for my condition. For how should your poor daughter look with a silk nightgown, silken petticoats, cambric headclothes, fine holland linen, laced shoes that were my ladies, and fine stockings? 
and how in a little while must these have looked, like old cast-offs indeed, and I looked so for wearing them. And people would have said, for poor folks are envious as well as rich, see there Goody Andrews's daughter, turned home from her fine place. What a tawdry figure she makes, and how well that garb becomes her poor parents' circumstances. And how would they look upon me, thought I to myself, when they should come to be threadbare and worn out? And how should I look, even if I could purchase homespun clothes, to dwindle into them one by one as I got them? Maybe an old silk gown, and a linsey-woolsey petticoat, and the like. So, thought I, I had better get myself at once equipped in the dress that will become my condition, and though it may look but poor to what I have been used to wear of late days, yet it will serve me, when I am with you, for a good holiday and Sunday suit, and what, by a blessing on my industry, I may, perhaps, make shift to keep up to. So, as I was saying, unknown to anybody, I bought of Farmer Nichols's wife and daughters a good sad-colored stuff of their own spinning, enough to make me a gown and two petticoats, and I made robings and facings of a pretty bit of printed calico I had by me. I had a pretty good camblet quilted coat that I thought might do tolerably well, and I bought two flannel undercoats, not so good as my swanskin and fine linen ones, but what will keep me warm if my neighbor should get me to go out to help em to milk, now and then, as sometimes I used to do formerly, for I am resolved to do all your good neighbors what kindness I can, and hope to make myself as much beloved about you as I am here. I got some pretty good scotch cloth, and made me, of mornings and nights, when nobody saw me, two shifts, and I have enough left for two shirts and two shifts for you, my dear father and mother, when I come home I'll make them for you, and desire your acceptance. Then I bought of a peddler two pretty enough round-eared caps, a little straw hat, and a pair of knit mittens, turned up with white calico, and two pair of ordinary blue worsted hose, that make a smartish appearance with two white clocks, I'll assure you, and two yards of black ribband for my shift sleeves, and to serve as a necklace. And when I had em all come home, I went and looked upon them once in two hours, for two days together. For you must know, though I be with Mrs. Jervis, I keep my own little apartment still for my clothes, and nobody goes thither but myself. You'll say I was no bad housewife to have saved so much money, but my dear good lady was always giving me something. I believed myself the more obliged to do this, because, as I was turned away for what my good master thought want of duty, and as he expected other returns for his presence than I wanted to make him, so I thought it was but just to leave his presence behind me when I went away. For, you know, if I would not earn his wages, why should I have them? Don't trouble yourself about the four guineas, nor borrow to make them up, for they were given me, with some silver, as I told you, as a perquisite, being what my lady had about her when she died, and, as I hope for no wages, I am so vain as to think I have deserved all that money in the fourteen months since my lady's death, for she, good soul, overpaid me before, in learning and other kindnesses. Had she lived, none of these things might have happened, but I ought to be thankful tis no worse. Everything will turn out for the best, that's my confidence. So, as I was saying, I have provided a new and more suitable dress, 
and I long to appear in it more than ever I did in any new clothes in my life. For then I shall be soon after with you, and at ease in my mind. But, mum, here he comes, I believe. I am, etc. Letter 21. My dear father and mother, I was forced to break off, for I feared my master was coming, but it proved to be only Mrs. Jervis. She said, I can't endure you should be so much by yourself, Pamela. And I, said I, dread nothing so much as company, for my heart was up at my mouth now, for fear my master was coming. But I always rejoice to see dear Mrs. Jervis. Said she, I have had a world of talk with my master about you. I am sorry for it, said I, that I am made of so much consequence as to be talked of by him. Oh, said she, I must not tell you all, but you are of more consequence to him than you think, for, or wish for, said I, for the fruits of being of consequence to him would make me of none to myself or anybody else. Said she, Thou art as witty as any lady in the land. I wonder where thou gottest it. But they must be poor ladies with such great opportunities, I am sure, if they have no more wit than I, but let that pass. I suppose, said I, that I am of so much consequence, however, as to vex him, if he be but to think he can't make a fool of such a one as I, and that is nothing at all but a rebuke to the pride of his high condition, which he did not expect, and knows not how to put up with. There is something in that, maybe, said she, but indeed, Pamela, he is very angry with you too, and calls you twenty perverse things, wonders at his own folly to have shown you so much favor as he calls it, which he was first inclined to, he says, for his mother's sake, and would have persisted to show you for your own, if you was not your own enemy. Nay, now I shan't love you, Mrs. Jervis, said I, you are going to persuade me to ask to stay, though you know the hazards I run. No, said she, he says you shall go, for he thinks it won't be for his reputation to keep you. But he wished, don't speak of it for the world, Pamela, that he knew a lady of birth, just such another as yourself, in person and mind, and he would marry her to-morrow. I colored up to the ears at this word, but said, Yet if I was a lady of birth, and he would offer to be rude first, as he has twice done to poor me, I don't know whether I would have him. For she that can bear an insult of that kind, I should think not worthy to be a gentleman's wife, any more than he would be a gentleman that would offer it. Nay now, Pamela, said she, thou carriest thy notions a great way. Well, dear Mrs. Jervis, said I very seriously, for I could not help it, I am more full of tears than ever. I have only to beg of you, as one of the best friends I have in the world, to say nothing of my asking to stay. To say my master likes me, when I know what end he aims at, is abomination to my ears, and I shan't think myself safe till I am at my poor father's and mother's. She was a little angry with me, till I assured her that I had not the least uneasiness on her account, but thought myself safe under her protection and friendship, and so we dropped the discourse for that time. I hope to have finished this ugly waistcoat in two days, after which I have only some linen to get up, and shall then let you know how I contrive as to my passage, for the heavy rains will make it sad travelling on foot, but maybe I may get my place, to which is ten miles of the way, in Farmer Nichols's closed cart, 
for I cannot sit a horse well at all, and maybe nobody will be suffered to see me on upon the way. But I hope to let you know more. From, etc. Letter 22. My dear father and mother, all my fellow servants have now some notion that I am to go away, but can't imagine for what. Mrs. Jervis tells them that my father and mother, growing in years, cannot live without me, and so I go home to them, to help to comfort their old age, but they seem not to believe it. What they found it out by was, the butler heard him say to me, as I passed by him in the entry leading to the hall, Who's that? Pamela, sir, said I. Pamela, said he, how long are you to stay here? Only, please your honor, said I, till I have done the waistcoat, and it is almost finished. You might, says he, very roughly indeed, have finished that long enough ago, I should have thought. Indeed, and please your honor, said I, I have worked early and late upon it, there is a great deal of work in it. Work in it, said he, you mind your pen more than your needle, I don't want such idle sluts to stay in my house. He seemed startled when he saw the butler, as he entered the hall, where Mr. Jonathan stood. What do you hear, said he? The butler was as much confounded as I, for, never having been taxed so roughly, I could not help crying sadly, and got out of both their ways to Mrs. Jervis, and told my complaint. This love, said she, is the D. In how many strange shapes does it make people show themselves, and in some of the farthest from the hearts? So one, and then another, has been since whispering, Pray, Mrs. Jervis, are we to lose Mrs. Pamela? As they always call me. What has she done? And she tells them, as above, about going home to you. She said afterwards to me, Well, Pamela, you have made our master, from the sweetest-tempered gentleman in the world, one of the most peevish. But you have it in your power to make him as sweet-tempered as ever, though I hope you'll never do it on his terms. This was very good in Mrs. Jervis, but it intimated that she thought as ill of his designs as I, and as she knew his mind more than I, it convinced me that I ought to get away as fast as I could. My master came in just now to speak to Mrs. Jervis about household matters, having some company to dine with him to-morrow, and I stood up, and having been crying at his roughness in the entry, I turned away my face. You may well, said he, turn away your cursed face. I wish I had never seen it. Mrs. Jervis, how long is she to be about this waistcoat? Sir, said I, if your honor had pleased, I would have taken it with me, and though it would be now finished in a few hours, I will do so still, and remove this hated poor Pamela out of your house and sight forever. Mrs. Jervis, said he, not speaking to me, I believe this little slut has the power of witchcraft, if ever there was a witch, for she enchants all that come near her. She makes even you, who should know better what the world is, think her an angel of light. I offered to go away, for I believe he wanted me to ask to stay in my place, for all this his great wrath. And he said, Stay here, stay here when I bid you, and snatched my hand. I trembled and said, I will, I will for he hurt my fingers, he grasped me so hard. He seemed to have a mind to say something to me, but broke off abruptly and said, Be gone, and away I tripped as fast as I could. And he and Mrs. Jervis had a deal of talk, as she told me, 
and among the rest he expressed himself vexed to have spoken in Mr. Jonathan's hearing. Now you must know that Mr. Jonathan, our butler, is a very grave good sort of old man, with his hair as white as silver, and an honest worthy man he is. I was hurrying out with a flea in my ear, as the saying is, and going downstairs into the parlor, met him. He took hold of my hand, in a gentler manner though than my master, with both his, and he said, Ah, sweet, sweet Mrs. Pamela, what is it I heard but just now? I am sorry at my heart, but I am sure I will sooner believe anybody in fault than you. Thank you, Mr. Jonathan, said I, but as you value your place, don't be seen speaking to such a one as me. I cried, too, and slipped away as fast as I could from him, for his own sake, lest he should be seen to pity me. And now I will give you an instance how much I am in Mr. Longman's esteem also. I had lost my pen somehow, and my paper being written out, I stepped to Mr. Longman's, our steward's, office, to beg him to give me a pen or two, and a sheet or two of paper. He said, Aye, that I will, my sweet maiden, and gave me three pens, some wafers, a stick of wax, and twelve sheets of paper. And coming from his desk, where he was writing, he said, let me have a word or two with you, my sweet little mistress, for so these two good old gentlemen often call me, for I believe they love me dearly. I hear bad news, that we are going to lose you. I hope it is not true. Yes, it is, sir, said I, but I was in hopes it would not be known until I went away. What a devil, he said, ails our master of late. I never saw such an alteration in any man in my life. He is pleased with nobody, as I see, and by what Mr. Jonathan tells me just now, he was quite out of the way with you. What could you have done to him, Tro? Only Mrs. Jervis is a very good woman, or I should have feared she had been your enemy. No, said I, nothing like it. Mrs. Jervis is a just good woman, and, next to my father and mother, the best friend I have in the world. Well, then, said he, it must be worse. Shall I guess? You are too pretty, my sweet mistress, and, maybe, too virtuous. Ah, have I not hid it? No, good Mr. Longman, said I. Don't think anything amiss of my master. He is cross and angry with me indeed, that's true, but I may have given occasion for it, possibly. And because I am desirous to go to my father and mother, rather than stay here, perhaps he may think me ungrateful. But you know, sir, said I, that a father and mother's comfort is the dearest thing to a good child that can be. Sweet excellence, said he, this becomes you, but I know the world and mankind too well, though I must hear and see and say nothing. And so a blessing attend my little sweeting, said he, wherever you go. And away I went with a curtsy and thanks. Now this pleases me, my dear father and mother, to be so beloved, how much better, by good fame and integrity, is it to get every one's good word but one, than, by pleasing that one, to make every one else one's enemy, and be an execrable creature besides. I am, etc. Letter 23 My dear father and mother, We had a great many neighboring gentlemen and their ladies this day at dinner, and my master made a fine entertainment for them and Isaac and Mr. Jonathan and Benjamin waited at table, and Isaac tells Mrs. Jervis 
that the ladies will by and by come to see the house, and have the curiosity to see me. For, it seems, they said to my master, when the jokes flew about, Well, Mr. B., we understand you have a servant-maid, who is the greatest beauty in the county, and we promise ourselves to see her before we go. The wench is well enough, said he, but no such beauty as you talk of, I'll assure ye. She was my mother's waiting-maid, who, on her deathbed, engaged me to be kind to her. She is young, and everything is pretty that is young. Aye, aye, said one of the ladies, that's true, but if your mother had not recommended her so strongly, there is so much merit in beauty, that I make no doubt such a fine gentleman would have wanted no inducement to be kind to it. They all laughed at my master, and he, it seems, laughed for company, but said, I don't know how it is, but I see with different eyes from other people, for I have heard much more talk of her prettiness than I think it deserves. She is well enough, as I said, but her greatest excellence is that she is humble and courteous and faithful, and makes all her fellow-servants love her. My housekeeper, in particular, dotes upon her, and you know, ladies, she is a woman of discernment. And, as for Mr. Longman and Jonathan here, if they thought themselves young enough, I am told, they would fight for her. Is it not true, Jonathan? Troth, sir, said he, and please your honour, I never knew her peer, and all your honour's family are of the same mind. Do you hear now? said my master. Well, said the ladies, we will make a visit to Mrs. Jervis by and by, and hope to see this paragon. I believe they are coming, and will tell you the rest by and by. I wish they had come and were gone. Why can't they make their game without me? Well, these fine ladies have been here, and are gone back again. I would have been absent if I could, and did step into the closet, so they saw me when they came in. There were four of them, Lady Arthur at the great white house on the hill, Lady Brooks, Lady Towers, and the other, it seems, a countess of some hard name, I forget what. So, Mrs. Jervis, says one of the ladies, how do you do? We are all come to inquire after your health. I am much obliged to your ladyships, said Mrs. Jervis. Will your ladyships please to sit down? But, said the countess, we are not only come to ask after Mrs. Jervis's health, neither, but we are come to see a rarity besides. Ah, says Lady Arthur, I have not seen your Pamela these two years, and they tell me she has grown wondrous pretty in that time. Then I wished I had not been in the closet, for when I came out, they must needs know I heard them. But I have often found that bashful bodies owe themselves a spite, and frequently confound themselves more, by endeavouring to avoid confusion. "'Why, yes,' says Mrs. Jervis, "'Pamela is very pretty indeed. "'She's but in the closet there. "'Pamela, pray step hither. "'I came out all covered with blushes, "'and they smiled at one another. "'The countess took me by the hand. "'Why, indeed,' she was pleased to say, "'report has not been too lavish, I'll assure you. "'Don't be ashamed, child,' "'and stared full in my face.' I wish I had just such a face to be ashamed of. Oh, how like a fool I looked! Lady Arthur said, I, my good Pamela, I say as your ladyship does. Don't be so confused, though indeed it becomes you too. I think your good lady departed made a sweet choice of such a pretty attendant. 
She would have been mighty proud of you, as she was always praising you, had she lived till now. Ah, madame, said Lady Brooks, do you think that so dutiful a son as our neighbor, who always admired what his mother loved, does not pride himself, for all that he said at table, in such a pretty maiden? She looked with such a malicious sneering countenance, I can't abide her. Lady Towers said with a free air, for it seems she is called a wit, Well, Mrs. Pamela, I can't say I like you so well as these ladies do, for I should never care, if you were my servant, to have you and your master in the same house together. Then they all set up a great laugh. I know what I could have said if I durst, but they are ladies, and ladies may say anything. Says Lady Towers, Can the pretty image speak, Mrs. Jervis? I vow she has speaking eyes. Oh, you little rogue, said she, and tapped me on the cheek, you seem born to undo, or to be undone. God forbid, and please your ladyship, said I, it should be either. I beg, said I, to withdraw, for the sense I have of my unworthiness renders me unfit for such a presence. I then went away with one of my best curtsies, and Lady Towers said, as I went out, prettily said, I vow, and Lady Brooks said, see that shape, I never saw such a face and shape in my life, why, she must be better descended than you have told me and so they run on for half an hour more in my praises, as I was told, and glad was I when I got out of the hearing of them. But, it seems, they went down with such a story to my master, and so full of me, that he had much ado to stand it. But as it was very little to my reputation, I am sure I could take no pride in it, and I feared it would make no better for me. This gives me another cause for wishing myself out of this house." This is Thursday morning, and next Thursday I hope to set out, for I have finished my task, and my master is horrid cross, and I am vexed his crossness affects me so. If ever he had any kindness towards me, I believe he now hates me heartily. Is it not strange that love borders so much upon hate? But this wicked love is not like the true virtuous love, to be sure. That and hatred must be as far off as light and darkness." and how must this hate have been increased if he had met with such a base compliance after his wicked will had been gratified? Well, one may see by little what a great deal means, for if innocence cannot attract common civility, what must guilt expect when novelty has ceased to have its charms and changeableness has taken place of it? Thus we read in holy writ that wicked Amnon, when he had ruined poor Tamar, hated her more than he ever loved her, and would have turned her out of door. How happy am I to be turned out of door, with that sweet companion, my innocence! Oh, may that be always my companion! And while I presume not upon my own strength, and am willing to avoid the tempter, I hope the divine grace will assist me. Forgive me that I repeat in my letter part of my hourly prayer. I owe everything, next to God's goodness, to your piety and good examples, my dear parents, my poor dear parents. I say that word with pleasure, for your poverty is my pride, as your integrity shall be my imitation. As soon as I have dined, I will put on my new clothes. I long to have them on. I know I shall surprise Mrs. Jervis with them, for she shan't see me till I am full dressed. John is come back, and I'll soon send you some of what I have written. I find he is going early in the morning." 
and so I shall close here that I am your most dutiful daughter. Don't lose your time in meeting me, because I am so uncertain. It is hard if, somehow or other, I can't get passage to you. But maybe my master won't refuse to let John bring me. I can ride behind him, I believe, well enough, for he is very careful and very honest. And you know John as well as I, for he loves you both. Besides, maybe, Mrs. Jervis can put me in some way. End of section 3